Familiarity is good for us in many ways. Rhythms are a part of life that God has built into the created order. They're beneficial. And uh, many of us have missed some of these rhythms some of the past few years, haven't we? As we've had those interrupted for a time. And I think there's a certain preciousness to being able to resume them. But it's important to remember today especially that with that familiarity uh, and the sameness of celebration that we may long for and that we may feel, we also must keep in mind the absolute uniqueness of what we'll be talking about today. The absolute uniqueness of what took place on that Sunday so many years ago. And today what we'll think about as we consider this text is how It has changed everything what took place that day, whether we realize it or not. And so before we look at our passage, I just want to bring us up to speed. Again, um, many in the original context of this would have been hearing this whole gospel read to them and following along in the story. And we're diving in at the end of the story in many ways in Luke chapter 24. And our passage begins with the experience that there were more who were a part of that group And they had been part of Jesus' followers all along. The text tells us that they came with him from Galilee. They had been part of Jesus' inner circle with him, and they were there at his crucifixion on Friday. And while all the others left, men included, they remained faithful to the end. And we find that uh, before our passage, they also followed Jesus' body to where it would be laid in the tomb, and they, they saw where and how it was laid. The verse right before chapter 24 starts tells us what happened on Friday night. It says, Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. You see, Jews weren't allowed to work on Saturdays, the Sabbath. And so um, Jesus was crucified on Friday, and that led to a quick burial for him. And so the ladies returned home and were preparing the spices that evening, and their intention was that when Sabbath was over, they could return to the tomb to finish preparing Jesus' body in our passage. And so hear God's word as I read Luke 24, verses 1 through. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So far the reading of God's word. Please join with me in prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, we're reminded that when our Lord Jesus saw the crowds, he saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't know the hearts of all who are here. I don't know who is in this crowd per se, but you do, and you know exactly what they need. And so what we pray this morning is that we all would have a greater vision, understanding, appreciation for the beauty and wonder of our Lord Jesus and all that he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Will you encourage us with a glimpse of our good and compassionate, gracious shepherd this morning? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, in verse 4, uh, the angels appear. These are two men who are dazzling in appearance. Later, they're confirmed to be angels in the account. And they explain what has happened. And in their explanation, in verse 5, they ask a question. It says, why, did, why do you seek the living among the dead? And these words will really serve as the framework for what we consider this morning. I, I'm going to address uh, this text in three points. The first is seeking among the dead. The second is seeking the living one. And then the third is your response to the living one. And so we'll be considering this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? And so we'll begin by thinking about seeking among the dead and what that even means. Throughout this narrative, the women's expectations are clear. They did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. They got spices ready on Friday night, preparing spices for his body. Sunday morning, when they went to the tomb, they were planning to put those spices on Jesus' body. And when it was not there, the text tells us that they were perplexed about this. And this isn't just, hmm, this is a puzzling observation for me to think about. This this word perplexed is carrying with it. They were at a loss They couldn't understand what was going on, and this was not a good thing. They were concerned when they didn't find his body there. And the angels capture this in their question, why do you seek the living among the dead? You see, these ladies that day expected to find Jesus as a dead body among other dead bodies. And the women were not alone in this. Later, when they went back and they told the rest of Jesus' followers, verse 9 says, the 11 and all the rest. And then verse 11 says, these words seem to them an idle tale. And that's really far too tame of a translation. This seemed like delirious, hysterical talk, utter nonsense that his body was not there and their claim that he had risen from the dead. And so what we need to understand as we come to the text this morning is that none of Jesus' followers expected him to rise from the dead. I think it's important to pause and just consider this for a moment. Because you sit here this morning in a very different context than that first Easter Sunday. It can very much feel like everyone already believes this message and that there's no room for questions or for doubts Maybe you've grown up in the church and you feel like the church wasn't really a safe place for your questions or for your concerns. 
Maybe you're a child in a family that goes to church Sunday after Sunday and it feels like everyone else in your home believes this and it can feel wrong to ever ask questions about what really happened. Maybe you have never heard much of what we're talking about before and you're not sure what you think. You see, back then, nobody believed Jesus would rise from the dead, did they? David Garland, who's a theologian and commentator on Scripture, he says this, Jesus' own disciples are the first skeptics of the resurrection. And you see, what we find right away in this text is that God is not afraid of your skepticism. Our questions don't scare him. Our need to hear an explanation, he's not wringing his hands. In fact, he understands that what happened to Jesus is unlike anything that we have ever experienced in life, isn't it? We're talking about a virgin birth. We're talking about a resurrection from the dead. And God knows that we haven't experienced these things. And that's why in Jesus' life, at both of those climactic events, angels show up to explain the truth of what took place because it's beyond our minds to put those pieces even together. And so today, as we come to that text, that truth of what happened is being brought to you. It is being proclaimed to you. And it's an invitation to hear and to wonder, to ponder these things, to join with the women and the disciples at considering what has really taken place. And so as we continue to ponder these things this morning, let's think a bit more about what these women were seeking when they showed up at the tomb. The angels say that they were seeking the living among the dead. On the surface, that's quite simple, isn't it? Uh, They were looking for another corpse among corpses. But in the Bible, the concept of death is much bigger than just referring to Jesus not being alive. The Bible begins as a story about life, doesn't it? God created everything, and we we find creature after creature teeming with life in the waters and on land and in the skies. And then on the sixth day, on that climactic moment of creation, God made mankind, male and female. And Genesis 2 zooms in and tells us how he fashioned that first man, Adam, from the dust, And he breathed into him the breath of life. And that man became a living creature made to live in God's paradise presence forever. The scriptures begin with life. But then shortly after, God warned Adam of something very different, didn't he? He was to eat of every tree of the garden except one. If he were to eat of that tree, then he would surely die. And that's the first time that concept is introduced in the story. And less than a chapter later, that warning became a reality because Adam sinned against God's command. And now he who was formed from the dust would die and return to dust. And Paul says in Romans 5.12, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, Adam, 
as the representative for humanity, plunged us into a condition where sin and death reign. We not only die, but we are among the dead in this condition. I think we're so used to living among the dead that we may not really realize how pervasive this reality really is. At the beginning of Luke, Zechariah's prophetic song. He's John the Baptist's father, and he describes humanity's condition as those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And I think that's such a fitting description of the situation of sin and death that we find ourselves in. This morning, death's shadow looms large over us, doesn't it? Ones we love are taken from us in death. We can't escape our own mortality. And the longer we live, the more we lose our vitality. And every ache, every pain, every doctor's appointment reminds us of this, doesn't it? And this tangled web of sin and death, it also affects every good that we experience. Every good moment or time in our life every snapshot of delight, every relationship that we experience is also intertwined at the same time with an awareness that this present blessing that we're experiencing now will one day be experienced as lost to us or lost to one that we love. Every hello will one day become a goodbye. Sadness, pain, tears, loss, grief, These are all experiences of life among the dead. And so when the ladies came to the tomb that day, they expected Jesus to be a part of that reality. In a world where crucified people die and are buried and they never return again. But the story doesn't end there, does it? The angels say there's a problem with that expectation. And it's the greatest problem anyone could ever have because the one that they are seeking is not among the dead anymore. And so that brings us to our second point. We've considered seeking among the dead and now let's consider seeking the living one. The angels refer to Jesus as the living who is not among the dead. And as you can tell from the point in my sermon, and I think even the title, this can be translated a different way. It can be translated more specifically, why do you seek the living one among the dead? And I think that captures really the heart of what they were getting at. And in verse 6, they explain, he is not here, but exactly the opposite. He is risen. And they remind them that this is something that Jesus spoke about before. This is something that he knew would take place. And they themselves, as Jesus' followers who had been with him from Galilee, they have heard his predictions, predictions of his suffering, his crucifixion, and that on the third day, he would rise. And after hearing the angel's words, they remembered his words. And they believed this proclamation of Jesus' words enough to go and then proclaim this message to his apostles. 
they believed that the Jesus that they followed from Galilee was now the Lord Jesus, the living one. You know, it can be easy to think that what happened on that Sunday was Jesus coming back from the dead. You can find accounts online and in books of people claiming to come back to life after they have died. And while unusual, it is certainly something that happened several times in the Bible, didn't it? Elijah raised the widow's son from the dead, and Elisha raised the Shunammite's son as prophets of God. Jesus, as the prophet of all prophets, raised several people from the dead. He raised the widow's son and Jairus' daughter and his friend Lazarus. And then later in the story, Peter will raise Tabitha from the dead in Acts chapter 9. In each of those situations, though, they are miraculously made alive again, but it's to continue the same life, isn't it? They're brought back from the dead, but they're still among the dead, eventually to die again. But the whole Bible argues that what happened to Jesus is different than that. It is other than that. As the narrative continues, it becomes clear that Jesus has now entered a new form of existence. It is still his same body, and that's really important. He didn't leave his body in the tomb and just experience some resurrection of spirituality. But no, he had his same body. He's still recognizable when he appears to his disciples. He eats and he drinks with them. He's not a ghost or a phantasm or phantom. And yet his body is not the same as it was before. He vanishes after breaking bread. He appears in a room without walking through the door. He's taken up to heaven in the clouds and he doesn't die from lack of oxygen. No mask comes out of the sky to support his lungs in that process. And so this was not something unusual like the raisings that occurred in the rest of scripture. This was something completely unique. Have you ever been in a, a dark place where you're away from lights, maybe out in the country somewhere, and you get up early and you face east to watch the sunrise? Jesus' resurrection was like that first glimpse of the sun cutting through the darkness of night. It brought a light that had never been experienced before, cutting through the darkness of life among the dead. And I want to mention this morning three reasons why it's different and so significant what Jesus' resurrection was. Uh, the first is he did what no one has done before. Jesus lived a life that did not deserve death, a perfect, a sinless life, like Adam and like all of us have failed to do. And his resurrection was God's declaration of this life. He was declared to be the Son of God in power at the resurrection. And that's why Luke has those, those words there in verse 3. We may not even catch it at first, but it says, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. That may sound really familiar. I say the phrase, the Lord Jesus, so many times on a Sunday morning. 
But this is the first time that Luke puts those two words together, and it's on the other side of Jesus' resurrection. Because this is not merely Jesus, the God-man whom they did not find. This is the risen Lord Jesus, who has now completed his mission as the Messiah and has been raised and bestowed with the title of Lord of all. And now he is the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus. He has done what no one has done before as the Messiah who lived a perfect life. Secondly, he has conquered death. Jesus will not die again. Paul makes this clear in Romans 6 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And that doesn't just affect Jesus, does it? He has conquered death for all who believe in him. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul considers the wonder of the resurrection. And and one of the things that he says in verse 20 is this, Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, or that's another way of saying died trusting in Christ. First fruits means that he is the first one, but as in a harvest of crops, there are still more to follow. And those who are trusting in Christ are the ones who will follow. Paul goes on to say, For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. If you are trusting in Christ this morning, though you may die, death will not have the last word. Christ has died for your sins and you will be raised in resurrection life with him when the Lord Jesus returns to vanquish death forever. He has conquered death. And then third, he has brought new life to all who trust in him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Paul goes back to the beginning and he quotes what took place with Adam when he came to life. He says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. But then he says, the last Adam, who's referring to the Lord Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. The resurrection, glorified life that Jesus has right now in heaven is not only something that he has, it is something that he now gives as a life-giving spirit. By his Holy Spirit, he is pouring out heaven's glory and life upon those who are in him even now. So that even though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly those who are in Christ are being renewed day by day. Believer, if you are trusting in Christ, your life now, in your life now, death's dark shadow is now being put to flight. It's like when you're flying in an airplane and you're at night and you're over an expanse of the country, right? And it's just darkness below. And then all of a sudden you start to see a glimmer of light and a glimmer of light and then it becomes brighter and brighter as you approach a city. This is what's happening in the life of believers. Heaven's glory is now breaking into our world of darkness through us. 
Because by the Spirit, the life of Jesus is now being put on display in us as heaven's fruit grows in our lives even now. Even in the midst of darkness and trials and difficulties and sorrows, he brings a heavenly hope in us of what will one day be. He strengthens our faith so that we can believe Jesus' words of hope to us. And heaven's love grows in our hearts as in the midst of those trials, he enables us miraculously to have patience, steadfastness, gentleness, peace, goodness, self-control. It's light breaking into the darkness because even as we continue to live among the dead, heaven's glory is in us and shines through us. And so in our text, the angels correct the women for seeking the living among the dead. They thought that Jesus was just one more child of Adam under the grip of death. But Jesus' resurrection doesn't just continue the story the way it has always been. It opened up a new chapter. The Apostle Paul calls the Lord Jesus the firstborn from the dead. He is the first one to go from being among the dead to being a truly living one. And he gives this life to all who trust in him. And so that brings us to our third and final point. Your response to the living one. What is your response to the living one? One of the things that I just absolutely love about the Bible is how realistic it is. It shows us normal people's responses to amazing events like the resurrection. The women are not expecting anything like what we have just talked about. They are surprised, they're confused, they're perplexed. But when the angels spoke, they remembered Jesus' words. And they chose to believe that those words, that explanation was the truth and was worth believing. And they had faith and they then proclaimed that message of resurrection to others. The disciples who had been with Jesus as well, they heard this and what did they think? It's crazy talk is what they initially thought. But the women, and I love it, they kept telling them. They held to that story. It never changed. It was the truth of what had happened as they recounted it. And Peter got up and he went to the tomb and he saw that it was empty and he pondered. He thought about it. He wondered. And eventually what happened, he fully believed in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't expect us to understand it all right away or even in this life. He knows that it requires faith to believe the gospel. It's not a blind leap. There is all kinds of evidence like an empty tomb and grave clothes that were there, but it is faith nonetheless. And what he calls us to is to consider this truth and to remember and believe his words. And so the question this morning is, will you seek the living one for your salvation? You have heard his word proclaimed, 
of what he did. He lived a perfect life. He died a death that paid for the sins of all who believe in him. He was raised to bring all who trust in him into that life with God that they were created to have. And you have heard not only what Jesus has done, but you have heard who Jesus truly is. He is the living one. Will you trust him to make you fully alive and give you eternal life? Jesus said to Martha, before he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked his friend Martha, do you believe this? The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, the living one, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is faith in Christ that saves us. If you believe in Jesus as the living one today, you will receive eternal life that begins even now. And then you can follow him and his command to be baptized and, and receive that sign of what has taken place in passing from death to life through the work of Jesus Christ. If this is something that the Lord is doing in your heart, I'd love to talk with you about it afterwards because it's one of the greatest things to consider as it has changed all of history and it can change your life forever today. But brothers and sisters who are trusting in Christ, The Lord Jesus invites you today to continue seeking him as the living one. He is your good shepherd. And even though you still live among the dead, he knows exactly what that is like. He's present with you by his spirit through all the sadness and sorrow and grief and pain. He will never leave you nor forsake you, but he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death because he himself died and was buried, but now behold, he is alive forevermore. And in those dark and hurting places in your life and in your heart today, seek him to bring the light of heaven's life. As he meets you there in that darkness and he helps you by his spirit to follow in his steps and as heaven's glory is then seen more and more in you as he helps you become more like him so yes there is a familiarity with what we have done today maybe what we will do or what we will eat after the service but because of the risen lord jesus we know that our situation has forever been changed. And so may today remind you that through faith in Jesus, we have become living ones who have eternal life even now. And that any celebration of life that we have today is just a foretaste 
of the joy that we will one day experience when he returns and all creation unites to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we experience an eternity with God where death has been swallowed up forever. And until that day, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and that it testifies to us of things that are in so many ways beyond our ability to comprehend. But it tells us all that we need to know and believe the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing in us now by his resurrection power. We pray that you would give life to all who are in this room, to those we love who don't yet know you, We pray that they would come to know the saving message of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to continue throughout our lives to seek him as the living one until we behold his face one day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.